Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Heavenly Father, um, we learned last week that uh, the church is described as the palace beautiful. And I would pray this morning as uh, you've brought us here safely that, again, that we have a a high view of the church because you have a high view of the church. Uh, That, again, we are your redeemed people by the blood of the Lamb. And that this time and uh, this gathering, Lord, is meant for refreshment, for encouragement, uh, to be a time when we feast upon the uh, the teaching of your word, upon uh, fellowship, uh, again, that you are here. And so we thank you and praise you again that you have uh, blessed us in this way. And we would ask and pray that our time together in St. Pilgrim's Progress would again be guided by your spirit, uh, that you would be our teacher, and that we would, be, uh, we would respond uh, with praise and with obedience. So again, we thank you for our time and we, we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey. You guys, it's um, Dixie's birthday today, so make sure Ooh. to say happy birthday to her. Dixie. Dixie, that's right. I think she's not feeling well this morning, she's actually. Here. Oh, she is here. All right, okay. All I right, so. I get bombarded by everything. Oh, there you go. All right. Okay, so we do have paper copies up here. If you're uh, old school, that way, you can do it that way. And also, too, you have like electronic versions. So if you have your, uh, your uh, devices, you can access it that way. Uh, we're going to divide this lesson, just like we did last time, into two parts. Part one is going to be focusing on the Valley of Humiliation. So Christian is going to uh, be leaving the Palace Beautiful and then descending into the, the, the Valley of Humiliation. And then, Lord willing, uh, after we get back from the retreat, uh, into the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So we got some really up, <laughs> up stuff to talk about. All right. Also, too, uh, Dan wanted me to remind you that today is uh, the day for praying for the persecuted church, right, which ties in a little bit what we're talking about. And so there's some handouts here up front, so if you uh, want to grab those at some point, I think there'll be some in the foyer, and then during the church service we'll be bringing this up. All right, so I'm going to start us off by reading from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Of course, and then Paul, you've already heard this before, because again, Breck did a great job on teaching on the armor of God, all right? And this ties directly where we're at with the story of Pilgrim. Last time, as I, as I prayed, he was in the Palace Beautiful, and uh, he was there for a while. He was enjoying the fellowship. Uh, he was uh, talking again about his journey, where he's at in the pilgrimage, uh, he is encouraged. Uh, he's refreshed. Like I said, they uh, they have these uh, these meals, these feasts, which can symbolize uh, again the spiritual enrichment or also the Lord's Supper. Okay, uh, he, when he sleeps, he sleeps in a room called peace, which I thought was a kind of a cool metaphor. When we talk again about uh, the benefits and blessings of salvation, 
uh, when he's walking through the gardens, he can see from a distance the delectable mountains. The delectable, I like that word, delectable. We don't say that too often. Yeah, but again, this idea of a vision of, uh, of heaven, of the celestial city. Again, uh, he's getting closer, and that's you think that once he leaves the, the palace, uh, it's going to just be great. He's just going to he's just going to go from one blessing to the next, and it doesn't work out that way. Uh, in fact, if you uh, when you read Pilgrim's Progress, and I got a little bit on the video, I might show a little bit of the video today. Uh, that's him leaving, and the delectable mountains are like off in the distance there. But he's got armor on, okay, armor all armor on, uh, and um, so he went to the armory. And uh, they, they, out, they equip him, they outfit him. And again, the, the illustration there is that that's one purpose of the church. It's meant to equip us spiritually for, for battle. We talked about that last time, for battle. And up to this point, Christian really doesn't know what that looks like, okay, up to this point. And so he's got his armor on, and uh, it's a little bit not uh, uh, accurate to the story because you'll notice is that he has armor, uh, he's got a shield on the back there, and he just he's, he won't have armor on his back. All right, so that would be kind of tying into the part of our story here. And he's going to be, looks like he's about to fall down, and that's exactly what happens. He, he's going to go up the hill to the Palace Beautiful, and then as he goes down, he stumbles. And usually with the metaphor on that is that um, his pride is there. We'll be talking about his pride, which causes him even to stumble going down, and he ends up in the Valley of Humiliation. And even the term, Valley of Humiliation, he's been, again, at this uh, the mountaintop experience. You think about, again, when you have mountaintop experiences, and then you don't know what's going to happen next, what's going to be coming around the corner. And a lot of times, it is a humbling, it's a humiliation, or it is something, again, some kind of spiritual struggle or battle. So on your outline, on your outline, and, uh, and verse, uh, page one here, uh, the text says, But now, in this valley of humiliation, poor Christian was grievously challenged. He had gone but a little way before he spotted a foul fiend coming over the field to contend with him. His name was Apollyon. Then Christian began to be afraid and to deliberate, deliberate whether to go back or to stand his ground. But he again reasoned that he had no armor for his back. He therefore thought that to turn back to Apollyon would give the fiend the greater uh, advantage to easily pierce him with his darts. Therefore, Christian resolved to stand his ground, for he thought, had I no, had I, had I no more in my mind than the saving of my life, it would be, best, it would be the best way to stand. So again, I, I always thought this was interesting because this is usually, um, in Pilgrim's Progress, there's dramatic scenes. There's, there's uh, when people read Pilgrim's Progress, they say, you know, what do you remember? We just kind of did it the very first day. And, you know, Apollyon is one of those places, okay? Palace Beautiful, people never remember Palace Beautiful, all right? But Apollyon, the devil, uh, this really dramatic scene is one of them, and you could argue Vanity Fair and Giant Despair, you know, those kind of things. Um, also, too, it's interesting is that, you know, our fascination with fantasy in our culture, with entertainment, we have dragons and we have, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings and things like that. Uh, you know, this kind of ties into that a little bit, Tolkien-ish kind of thing, all right? Um, but also, too, uh, I wanted to bring up is the, and I read, read this from Ephesians 6, is that um, spiritual warfare is real. Okay, we, we talked about last time again about, you know, the Christian is equipped with spiritual armor. Uh, we, have fight, we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we mentioned the devil, you know, it sounds like we're a bunch of raving charismatics or something like that. You know, devil, you know, there's a devil, you know, there's Satan, you know. And, um, and this is an example where, again, this is very dramatic, 
and uh, it's very real. Okay, so um, here goes Christian. He's, he, uh, you can imagine your mind. He's on this plane, and he sees Satan coming. So in your mind, and the, and the book describes him as being a phallish fiend, okay? And the book, it takes it from the book of Revelation. Again, if you can uh, uh, imagine this hideous creature approaching you, you know, and then what do you do? All right, and that's what Christian's doing. He sees, again, Satan coming, and then do you stand your ground, or do you run for your life? And I'm, okay? And um, so in this case here, he decides to stand, and, and why does he do that? Afraid of that fiery dart sitting in his back. Yeah, yeah, all right. So really kind of, I mean, a little bit humorous and kind of practical, this whole thing. He realizes he has no protection on his back. And so retreat is not an option for him, all right? And so a lot of times, again, that's why I read from Ephesians as well, because you hear the, the, the term or the phrase, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm, all right? That we are all, we are, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but again, against the rulers, the powers, and so on. And we are, and we are told over and over again, put on the full armor of God, so you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And the evil day could be, again, this is the evil day for a Christian, right? And for us, we have the evil days. We have times of satanic opposition, and God is telling us again, stand firm in those times. All right. So you have here again uh, for point A, a Christian does not go far in the Valley of Humiliation until he meets with danger. Across the field, he sees the, the, the Polyon and so on. This is taken from Revelation 9-11. Of course, we're in the book of Revelation and it talks quite a bit about uh, Satan and his, uh, his schemes and his uh, powers and what he's doing. Now point B here, Apollyon represents the devil and the spiritual forces of evil that oppose God and seeks to destroy and diminish God's work and God's glory. He has come to challenge Christian and turn him away from following Christ. Now, again, Christian is a focal point here, but remember, Satan is against God. Uh, Apollyon is against Christ. And again, uh, Christian represents, he's a servant of the most holy God of Christ and so on. And so we always need to remember that Satan is an equal opportunity destroyer, right? Anyone who is of God's kingdom, who is his servants, is a target for Satan. So if you are a Christian, you are a target, Right? He, Satan hates you. He wants to kill and to steal and what? And destroy. And so I want to kind of emphasize that again, not to, to for us to be paranoid, to be freaked out. But again, we, I, we have this little bit of complacency in, a, in our culture where, again, you know, we got back from, or got back, we just, uh, Halloween just happened. And sometimes we want to, we want to downplay it, thinking, well, you know, that's, that, that's a, um, a caricature. That's just kind of a little bit of foolishness. And yet Satan is a real uh, foe, and he's seeking to destroy us. All right, so they have this interchange. And again, it's interesting, again, anytime you have this diabolical dialogue, I'm just using a lot of words today, okay? A diabolical dialogue is really interesting because it, it harkens back, for example, for, uh, in Genesis, remember again with the serpent and with Eve, right? And so you think again about, you know, here's the serpent coming up who is, who is Satan, and he says, has God said? You know, has God said, Right? And then you also have him where, where Satan twists God's word and says again, you know, God's lying to you. If you eat from the tree, you won't die, right? Uh, then you have Matthew chapter 4, again, with Jesus in the wilderness temptation, right? I mean, if you ever get a chance, read these encounters again. You know, obviously, anytime typically when a, uh, a, a person other than Christ is talking with Satan, you're outmatched. 
Okay, because Satan is the deceiver. He is this. Uh, he's going to manipulate. He's going to be strategic in the dialogue. And, you, and quite honestly, apart from Christ, if we're defenseless, we're outmatched. He's smarter than we are. Apart from again, Jesus protecting us and helping us. Now, again, it's interesting when you read the account with, with in the world's temptation. You know, Satan says, "If you are the Son of God," right? And and part of that is the identity challenge there. And so this is what's going to happen next, is that Apollyon's basically going to say, and this is on your next line here, Apollyon, by this I, re- I perceive that you're one of my subjects. For all that country is mine, and I am the prince of it, how is it then you've, that you've run away from your monarch? Were it not that I would hope you would return to my service, I would strike you down with one blow to the ground. So here comes this conversation, and here comes this foulish fiend. It basically says, I, you know, where you came from, where your identity was from, um, I owned you. Okay, I owned you. All right? And why are you fleeing from me? All right? And so he's challenging already Pilgrim's identity because, again, Pilgrim's going to keep saying, yeah, I used to be yours, but no longer. I used to be yours, used to have authority over me, used to reign over me. I used to, uh, I was part of that city of destruction where I came from. And that's the past, but it's not who I am now. And that's important for us to remember. That's the past. That's not who I am now. And so um, you can go on page two of the outline. And another thing to remember about Satan, that he's a liar. Okay, anytime again Satan is speaking to Pilgrim or to anytime in Scripture again that he twists things, all right? And it's always interesting, again, we read accounts like John chapter 8, which is, again, John chapter 8, the whole chapter is fantastic. But Jesus is going to be talking uh, to the, Jew, the believing Jews, and he basically says, you know, your daddy is the devil. And they really like that, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then Jesus talks about Satan in that passage. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no, there's no truth in him. He goes on and says, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And again, it's something to remember again is that we, you know, Satan speaks to the culture, right? Uh, and anything that he says, you can take for granted, it's a lie, right? Um, so we go on to talk about, uh, this is on point two, uh, page two of your outline. What are the ploys? Okay, so ploys, we talk about strategies. Uh, what does he do? So I'm just giving you some points here. Uh, number one, he tries to make sin look promising, prosperous, and alluring. I like those words, okay? Promising, prosperous, and alluring, all right? The devil would have us to believe that our sins are more pleasurable and desirable than the joys and riches we have in Christ. If Christian goes back, he promises to give him what our country will afford as if that will satisfy Christian's heart, okay? So that's why, so uh, basically, Apollyon kind of sweetens the pot, if you know what that means, okay, sweeten the pot. Okay, he makes it again. He says, "Okay, you used to be one of my uh, my uh, my uh, my my subjects to my kingdom, and look, if you turn back, I'll give you whatever you want." All right, and I've always thought about this a little bit because you know, in the culture, uh, you know, there's, there's a phrase: "Every man has his price," right? And I've always thought about that again. Is that you know, if Satan came to you. You know, kind of like the genie in the bottle kind of thing, you know, rub it and you get the three wishes. You know, if Satan said to you, look, um, I'll give you whatever you want. Whatever this world has, whatever the, is, is prized, whatever, is, again, people strive for and want, um, I'll give it to you as long as you serve me. 
That's a temptation, right? And so again, in this case here, Christian's going to see through that because again, Christian's affections, his desires, what he, his treasure is not of this world, right? But again, that's a temptation Satan tries to pull here on Christian, but also in our culture as well uh, towards us. But Christians understands <clears throat> that Apollyon's service is hard and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Satan is, is an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. who can for a time make bondage seem like freedom and ruin feel like happiness. From the beginning, he has been a deceiver and a liar. We've already seen that. We must be on guard against the deadly error of believing that we can find true satisfaction and contentment in yielding and living in sin. So again, I, I got to bring this up. It's obvious, but again, that's the culture we live in. Sin for a season, right? Again, uh, pursuing the things of this world will bring you happiness and joy and pleasure and satisfaction and, and contentment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and those are all bold-faced lies, right? But again, it's alluring. It's something we hear all the time. Then he moves on. So same basis. says, okay, I've tried this, tried this, strike one, strike two. We're going to move on to another tactic here. So number two, same points to the apostasy and hypocrisy of others. Hmm. So Christian says, I pledge myself to another, even to the king of princes. So how can I, with fairness, go back with you? Napoleon says, you've gone from bad to worse. It is common for those who have professed themselves to be his servants after a while, to give him the slip and return again to me. And if you do also, then all will be well with you. Christian says, I have sworn my allegiance to him. How can I go back and not be hanged as a traitor? Paulian says, well, you did the same to me, and yet I'm willing to overlook that. If you will yet now turn and come back. Christian responds, what, pro what I promised to you was for my youthful foolishness. Besides, the king under whose banner I now stand is able to absolve me, and yes, to pardon my former compliance with you. Besides destroying Apollyon, to speak the truth, I like his service, his wages, his servants, his government, his company, and his country better than yours. Therefore, shut up. Now I can cease trying to persuade me further, for I am his servant and I follow him. And again, I like the determination here. Um, and then you see in the, the, the bottom paragraph there is that Christian, uh, Paulian says, look, there's been others like you who've made a profession of faith, who started out well, and then they, they, they gave up, they apostatized, they slipped away. That's the way it slipped away, all right? So what makes you think you're any better than them? All right? And you see this sometimes, again, where uh, you're looking for an excuse to somehow not follow Christ or somehow turn away, and basically says, again, uh, you know, don't, you know, if, what makes you any different? If you look down to, uh, on the next page, on page three, Apollyon, Apollyon points to others who have given Christ the slip in an attempt to sway Christian in thinking that he's already on his way to desertion because of his own slips coming down the valley. The devil is the accuser, Re uh, Revelation 12.10, and we must be very wary of his schemes to dissuade us from looking to Christ. Now, this is a really important point here. The accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren, okay? Um, you've heard this from the book of Revelation already, and you already know this, is that Satan, one of his, his primary tactics is to point to our flaws, our sins, our rebellions, our sins of omission is commission, and keep gain, uh, and basically saying to us again, look how you have failed. Look at what you've done. Um, look at your thoughts. Look at your actions. Everything about you denies Jesus. 
you've fallen short of the glory of God. Over and over and over, Satan's just accusing, accusing, accusing. And he's going to use this, okay, this tactic a lot. And then finally, another point he's going to do here is he points to the trials and hardships of following after Christ. Now, this is interesting when, when uh, the devil says this. Consider again that what you're likely to meet along the way that you are now going. You know that, for the most part, his servants come to a wretched end because they are transgressors against me and my ways. So says, if you keep going, something bad's going to happen to you. Right? And he says, it's interesting because the word because. The reason something bad's going to happen to them, a wretched end, is because they are transgressor, that, transgressors against me and my ways. So again, if you go up against me, um, I'm going to do something bad to you. Right? Then he goes on to say, how many of them have been put to shameful deaths? And besides, you count his service better than mine. But he never delivers the, any who serve him out of my hands. Okay, and I emphasize the word never. Right, that's an absolute statement, right? So again, when Christians have been persecuted, which we're talking about this week and this day, and when they've been in, in, in trials and, and situations, God never saves them. God never saves them. Never. Right? And he goes on, but as for me, how many times, as all the world well knows, have I delivered those who've been faithfully, who have faithfully served me from him, either by power or fraud, just so I will deliver you? So if you keep going the way you're going again, something again is going to end up poorly for you, okay? And there's no way that God's going to save you, deliver you, protect you, help you, okay? But if you come with my side, guess what? I, I'm trustworthy. <laughs> You can trust me. I never lie. Okay, yeah. Um, so, Christian responds. His refraining to deliver his servants at present is, on, is, a, is a, on purpose to test their love, whether they will cleave to him to the end. Okay, and it's really interesting. Now we get into the question of theodicy. This question again about when Christians suffer. It's not if they will suffer, but when they suffer, when they struggle, when they're persecuted, when, again, the things that Jesus said will happen if we follow after him, all right, why God allows it. Okay, why God allows it. In this case here, Christian's going to say, to test their love. Okay? I'm a teacher, all right? Uh, and so I love giving tests. Okay? And I know my students hate that, but, but uh, it's because I love them. Okay? I just love giving them tests. And I, and, but the point is that um, tests are assessments. Right? Their tests are to, to reveal um, what they know inside. Because right? I'm not a mind reader, though they think I'm a mind reader. Um, and I don't know what they've learned until they've actually taken a test and it's revealed. And so tests a lot of time, again, for, they're meant to reveal again our faith. They're meant to reveal um, our trust and love for God. And that's what he's saying there. And it goes, it goes on to say, the Christians go on to say, you say they will come to a wretched end, but in fact, it is most glorious. It is most glorious, okay? Precious in the sight of God is the death of his godly ones, right? that the wretched end they come to, again, is only works from a humanistic perspective, from, again, the world's perspective. You know, the worst thing that could happen to you in the world can be disease, or it could be poverty, or it could be, uh, um, uh, you know, whatever the world values. But he says, you know what, this world uh, is not enough, and this world is not the end. And again, there may be persecution, and there may be trials, and so on, but again, there's a reward for us. There's another world waiting for us. There's a celestial city. He goes on to say, 
As for pres present deliverance, they do not much expect it, for they patiently wait for the, their triumph, and they shall have it when their king comes in his glory with all of his angels. Now, this is a great point here. Christian describes those who have suffered and died for the sake of Christ. To those who walk by, by sight, it appears that they have been defeated and let down by God. But faith is the things hoped for, the evidence of, of things not seen, Hebrews 1.11. Those who walk by faith as Christian pilgrims on earth, who desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, Hebrews 11. Christians does not fall for Apollyon's false promises of deliverance, but trust that no matter how difficult the circumstances may be, no matter how dark the outcome may appear, his king will safely bring him to glory. Okay, And again, God promises to bring his people safely home. God promises to, to bring his people safely home. Okay, God promises, Okay, regardless of our circumstance in this life, again, the Lord will save us and bring us safely home. Okay? Satan can't make that promise because he ain't God. He's just a creature. That's all he is. A nasty, ugly creature. Okay? And so you have some, tons of scriptures that tie into this. Okay? Uh, Hebrews 11, of course, and we're, uh, in, the, in the faith chapter. Um, you can read that on your own, but I, I, it kind of talks about all of the, uh, the, the persecution and so on that, that's mentioned. You kind of go mill that paragraph. They were stoned, sawed apart, murdered with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The world's not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and openings in the earth. And these were all commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised, for God has provided something better for us so they would be made perfect together with us. You also have Daniel, uh, chapter 3, uh, the book of, remember the, about deliverance again? God delivers Daniel from the lion's den. Remember, you know that story. But also I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You know, we all love that story again, again, where Nebuchadnezzar, the crazy king, right, creates this idol and says, again, when the, the music plays, bow down. Everybody bows down to, to this false god, right? And you got the, the, the three children, I don't think they're children, but three, three, three young men, basically, and you have this, this encounter, this interview with, between them and Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve, going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Says our God can deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we will not bow down. And that's because again they faith and they have trust in God uh, and what He will eventually bring them to. Uh, Romans eight eighteen. You're all familiar with this verse here. For I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, and just verse after verse after verse are connected again. Is that yes, we will suffer. First Peter talks a lot about this, but again. The point is that the Lord will bring us home. Okay, the Lord will use this and be glorified in it, and therefore we don't have to worry about um, what we will have to endure. And it goes on to say here, if you go on uh, page five of your outline, this is where the accuser part comes in quite a bit. Um, point four is that Satan points to Christians' own failings and sin. Now, Paulian makes his attack personal. He begins to accuse Christian in all the ways he has failed to follow his king. When he fell into the slaw of the spawn, when he followed the, the advice of world, Mr. Worldly Wise Men and left the way, the way to find relief from his burden in the town of morality, when he fell asleep in the arbor on hill difficulty, when he, how he lost his heart and, and the scroll and almost turned back the side of the lions at the interest of House Beautiful, 
With each reminder of these, these failings, uh, Pollyon attempts to discourage Christian from ever reaching, uh, of any hope of reaching his destination. Now this is the, like the common tactic, all right? Um, Satan has the laundry list. And it's really interesting, again, is that um, Satan knows us. Okay, again, you know, we, have, we fight these foes who are invisible. All right, this is an invisible world, right, which is really intriguing because we only think what we see, what we touch, taste, test, you know, the empirical method uh, is reality. And this is not just the reality. There's a spiritual world, right, and there's demonic and angelic activity going on. And this idea, again, that Satan knows again, or the demons know again, they know us, and they see when we fail. It's almost like, again, it's this, this uh, intriguing thing about if, you know, they were, um, someone was keeping a list or, or recording your life and your thoughts and your words and so on, and you basically could say, you know what, you failed here and 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 here, all right? And, the, and that's what Satan's basically doing here to, to Christian. He's saying, you know what, you're, you're a mess. You have denied God. You're a traitor to him. You have failed him over and over and over and over again. So give up. He's accusing him, right? And the, 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 the wonderful thing that we're going to see here is that, um, you know, the response to this, to the accuser. Number one, again, uh, he's going to, I want to just pull two things out of this. Number one, the promise of forgiveness. Christian is going to go over and over again is that because of Christ, because of Christ, we have the promise of the forgiveness of our sins, all right? All of our sins. They've been nailed to the cross. All of our sins have been nailed to the cross. All of our sins. Not just a few of them, not just halfway, just not when we start, but all of our sins have been nailed to the cross. That which we would condemn, we condemn us has been put away. And that's why it says in Romans 8, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Satan is trying to accuse Christian and to condemn Christian and say, you know what, give up. But unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is that we, we know, you know, again, if our eyes are off Christ and on his perfect saving work, especially his imputed righteousness. Again, Jesus gives us his perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness to our account, right? And so this is where justification by faith alone comes in. We've just got through the Reformation again. It's so important to understand that I'm secure with God, right? Satan can accuse me, but again, it's under the blood, okay? And that's why I like these lines here. I got a couple, I got a Martin Luther line, okay? I got to have a Martin Luther line. There's actually a couple of Martin Luther lines in here. Luther says, so when the, day, when, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, Tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and where he is, there I shall also be. All right. In fact, it's really interesting in the account when you read Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim's pretty bold and basically says, Satan, you left some stuff out. Yeah, you got this stuff here, but I, you know, let me fill you in on this kind of stuff. The point is, I am forgiven for the sake of Christ. And again, I am secure in my relationship with God because, again, of the perfect, imputed righteousness of Jesus to my account. And so shut up. Okay. Then finally, you get, uh, Pauline gets a little frustrated at this point. Okay, rightly so. He said, okay, enough is enough. Um, you were discouraged at the first setting. 
when you're almost choked in the swamp of despond, you attempted the wrong ways and so on and so forth, you lost your scroll and so on. And then it, says, then it goes on to this on point five. Um, when you talked of your journey, what you've seen and heard, you were secretly proud in all that you said. You were secretly proud. And so now uh, the tactic is about motives, about motives. Okay, there's already, already been this condemnation, this accusation, but I find it interesting again that uh, this psychological warfare, emotional warfare, is they say, you know what, the only reason you're on this pilgrimage, the only reason you're a Christian is because of your pride. Okay, because you, you're not really following after God, you're not really following after Christ, you're really not pure in your motives, it, it's, you're doing it for yourself. All right? And this is meant to be a stumbling block, this is meant to be an discouragement, this is somehow to drive a wedge between Christian and the, and the king. And why do I bring this up is because I understand this, okay? So for example, just to be transparent, okay, is that a lot of times if I'm teaching, whether it's at the school or even here or any place else, I have to check my motives. Okay, I have to check my motives. Because again, I'm aware that my motive that can creep in is pride. Okay, I want to be impressive or I want to be seen as spiritual or I want to somehow draw attention to myself, right? And again, I have to repent of that. My motive, I know, because I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God, is to glorify God, to love His people, to promote Christ, not me. But the motive, the mixed motives, is what Christ, that the devil's pointing at, saying, you know, you're really not doing it for Jesus. You're really not doing it for God. Your, your motives are impure, so therefore, why do it? Are you following me on this? Right? And again, so I thought that was an interesting kind of thing there. And so, moving on here, let's talk about the, uh, point, uh, the point F there, resisting the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, the, the good thing is that, number one, Christian stands his ground. And, you know, and we've already seen this here, um, and so he understands that he can't back down. If you go on page six here, you have the number of verses that tie into this. We're at Ephesians 6. Uh, you have First Peter 5, uh, there, be sober, be vigilant, for the, for, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers uh, in the world. And the, the next point I like here is that number two is that Christian speaks mo most often of his king and not himself. Okay, again, the the the, the focal point is not on his self righteousness, Christian self righteousness, on his virtues, of his accomplishments, of his uh, uh, his brownie points with God. Okay? Because if you do that, if your breastplate is all about you, it's going to be sh it's going to shatter, right? There's holes in it, all right. But what he does, he focuses upon Jesus. That's what Christian does. He focuses on Jesus. He focuses on the King. His eyes are on the King. Notice in the exchange with Paulian that Christian does not dwell on his sin or his circumstances or himself. Rather, as Apollyon continues to press him, he over and over again speaks of his King. He tells of Apollyon. I have given myself to another, even the king of princes. I have given him my faith and sworn my allegiance to him. I count the prince under whom, whose banner I now serve is now able to absolve me. I like his service, his wages, his servants, etc. I am his servant, I follow him. In the midst of temptation, Christian does not set his attention on himself, his foe, or on his struggle. He sets it firmly on his king. What causes most Christians to stumble in the valley of humiliation is pride. They exalt themselves in their thinking rather than Christ. Um, Tom, they have a quote here from Tom Askell talking about what is pride. I think you already know that. Uh, we can fall into pride when we are overconfident in our own strength and boast in ourselves. Or we can fall into pride when we despair and speak only of our struggles and failures. In both cases, we lose sight of Christ and make ourselves spiritually vulnerable. 
we must learn from Christian's example to take our eyes and our conversion off ourselves and fix them on Christ. And then I have here from, you know, a quote from uh, a couple of lines from Before the Throne of God, which we sing often in our church. And I love those lines in there when we sing them, where it says, When Satan tempts me to despair, which is going on here, and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. So again, I love all of that. And again, that's a, a good response again to uh, Satan's attacks here. Then you have point three here. Sin, uh, I'm sorry, Christian owns his sin and rests in the mercy of his king. On page seven, very taut there. When Napoleon tries to shame Christian by accusing him of sin and unfaithfulness, notice how Christian responds. He doesn't try to rationalize his sin. He doesn't downplay or deny his sin. He doesn't blame others or make excuses. For it. He confesses, this is all true and all more you've left out. But he then casts himself on the mercy and kindness of his God. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. And that's what I love again about Christ and about God. We talk about his grace, his grace. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more, right? And again, this is important for us to remember. It's not about works. It's about, again, God's mercy, his grace, when we truly repent and trust in the, the gospel of his son. Christian humbles himself, remembers that God did uh, d what God did to rescue him from his certain destruction. The shamefulness of his sins, more numerous than Napoleon can enumerate, has already been put on display. His Savior was nailed to the cross. But at the cross, the abundance of God's mercy was displayed as well. His Savior died in his place. They might know true forgiveness and peace. It's humbling and liberating a truth of the gospel that enables Christians to stand and resist the ploys of the devil. He is a great sinner, but Christ is a greater savior with grace and mercy in abundance. And just tons of verses that tie into this. Uh, obviously, Psalm 51, you can read that. You're probably very familiar with that. Uh, 1 John 1, verses 8 through tw uh, 10, we've talked about that verse as well, these promises of forgiveness. And then we have another quote from, from Martin Luther. Uh, when he says, when I go to bed, the devil is always waiting for me. It's interesting. Uh, when, I, when he begins to plague me, I give him this answer. Devil, I'm asleep. That's God's command. Work by day, sleep by night. So go away. If that doesn't work and he brings out a catalog of sins, I say, yes, old fellow. I know all about it, but I know some more that you've overlooked. Here's a few extra. Put them down. If he still won't quit impressing me hard and accuse me as a sinner, I scorn him and say, physician, heal thyself. Okay, so Luther's got some interesting anecdotes about his encounters with Satan, and you can decide what you're going to do with that. Now, finally, we have the battle. Okay, so basically at this point, Paulian said, okay, enough of this dialogue, apparently it ain't working, I'm just going to kill you. All right, so Paulian breaks out and breaks in a furious rage, so, you know, I hate the king, I'm here to destroy you, and I love Christian's response, Apollyon, beware of what you do, I'm on the king's highway. Okay, I'm in the king's highway. I'm basically, again, I am uh, protected by the king. I am, uh, uh, king's with me. And again, you know, before you start, don't start something you can't finish, right? And says, um, uh, I'm on the way of holiness, therefore take heed. Paul says, I don't care, let's do it. All right, so then now we got the rumble. Um, and then so you have this description where Apollyon is, is sending out his fiery darts. And the fact, described, as, described as like hail, right? In fact, the first one is going toward, short toward his heart, and then Christian raises up his shield of faith, right? And the dart hits the shield of faith. Um, 
And that's point B on your outline, by the way. The first arrow is aimed at Christian's uh, heart, intent on casting doubt on God's uh, Christian's love for his king. But Christian is now prepared, armed with spiritual warfare during his stay at Palace Beautiful. He wards off the flaming dart with the shield of faith. Um, and then what Christian, of course, is he pulls out the what? The sword, right? Which is what? The word of God, <laughs> all right. So the spirit is word of God, right? Okay, this whole idea again is the spiritual warfare. Just went back like with Jesus and the, the world of temptation. You know, again, Jesus is responding with scripture, right? And again, in the spiritual warfare, again, it's always a band of God. God has equipped us with his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit, right? And so therefore, we know the truth, right? So he draws out the sword, and they fight, okay? So this is, and it's interesting is that, you know, there's a hail of darts coming at Christian. He's in the armor. He's got the shield up and so on, but he's still wounded, right? It talks about, you know, there's some spare darts apparently that hit him in the arm and the leg and other places where he's basically not covered quite adequately enough. So there's some damage being done in this battle, and it goes on and on and on. It actually goes all day. And Napoleon sees Christian growing weaker, and so... Um, this idea of wrestling with the devil, uh, the spiritual warfare, is, uh, is, is, is long-term. It's, it's happening for a while, and Christian is getting worn down okay, over a period of time. Now, as you get down to the very bottom here, here's what the, the kind of the climax of the battle. So Satan is attacking him. Uh, he's kind of wearing him down. Uh, he's stumbling a little bit in his faith, okay? And then you have this thing where he falls to the ground, and then the sword drops from his hand. It's like, ah! Yeah, yeah, it's on the ground, the sword falls away, but it's just, it's kind of close though too, all right? So you get to the very bottom here, it says that, is when Christian has a dreadful fall, the sword flies out of his hand, that Napoleon sees his greatest advantage. We are at our weakest in the spiritual battle when we lose grip on the sword, the word of God. Only when Christian revives and takes up the two-edged sword again does the tide of the turn, battle turn. The sword is a ch our choice of offensive weapon, especially when the battle involves confronting our own sinfulness and pride. And of course, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit in a, a, a both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, you have the little line in the story where, so Christian is kind of like, looks like Satan's going to do the, the final blow, he's going to kill him, and the sword's just a little bit out of his reach, and it says, in the line is, as God would have it. And so there's this divine intervention where the, he's able to grasp the sword, right? And here comes Satan, comes really close, and you have Saint, uh, Christian going, aha! You know, and a fatal wound. I uh, like that? Aha! Okay, so you get that. Okay, I, was, I thought it was being dramatic. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, so um, the revival of Christian's heart. You're a tough audience. So uh, <laughs> that he might cleave afresh to the word of God is attributed to Bunyan as God's bestowal, not of man's self-enlightenment or self-bestowal. But just as Napoleon is about to uh, give a killing thrust, the power of grace enables Christian to regain his sword and conquer. In Grace Abounding, Bunyan recounts numerous instances where near despair was dispelled through the intervention in his mind of Scripture. And, the, and then you'll have Christian quote Micah 7:8, Do not rejoice over me on my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And so I love, the, again, the, um, this, the illustration that, again, that um, the Lord is bringing to mind Scripture in this time of despair, of near disaster. Again, God intervenes and gives us, again, a, a weapon, a weapons to uh, respond. 
Um, you have also here a quote from uh, Thomas, I'm sorry, from Spurgeon. I think I'm going to uh, skip that just for the sake of time right now. On page 10, I have a picture there for you, okay? Uh, there's lots of pictures from Pilgrim's Progress, like different volumes here, but you get the idea of what kind of it looks like there. Apollyon receives a fatal blow and withdraws until another day. And it's almost like, it's interesting in the account, is that, you know, he's wounded but not dead, Apollyon. He's wounded but not dead. And says, I'll be back someday. I'll be back someday. All right. And so what's the point there is that even when there's a victory, Satan says, this ain't over yet. This ain't over yet. Right? And so there will become a time where Satan, again, is looking for an advantageous time to strike again. And so we have to have this constant spiritual vigilance, again, because Satan is this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he could come at any time again. Right? So just because we have this, you know, this one victory doesn't mean the war is over. Okay? So it's real important to, to be able to see that. Um, kind of in the middle of that page, when the battle is over and Christian has fled, Apollyon uh, has fled, Christian expresses his thanksgiving with a song of praise and thanks to God. You get a lot of times the, the poetry you have on this here too. And then you have recovery. And so I love the line there. It says, a Christian recovers through providential means of grace. Uh, Christian's wounds are healed by the leaves of the tree of life, a reference to, uh, in the book of Revelation. Um, you get the second point there. The leaves of the tree of life in Revelation represents the spiritual life and peace we enjoy when we're in Christ. Um, he's refreshed and nourished by the provisions given to him. Uh, they had bread and wine given to him at the Palace Beautiful. And the point is he, he, re he recovers, all right? From the battle, the wounds are healed, he's encouraged, and uh, he's refreshed to the point where he's ready to, to kind of get back up again and continue the journey, all right? Any questions at this point, thoughts? Got about five minutes, four minutes left. Okay, I didn't want to be overly sensational. Okay, I didn't want to be overly sensational, but again, the reminder again is that uh, the importance of uh, Scripture, for example, we talk about the, 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 uh, the armor of God, again, that we fight these spiritual, this spiritual battle not against flesh and blood, not with earthly weapons, okay? Um, but again, it's by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, uh, the importance of that, of, of uh, understanding the gospel, what that is, again, um, and when Satan accuses us, when Satan's the accuser of the brethren, what do you do with that? What do you do with that, right? Because it's going to happen if it's not already happening right now that we woke up this morning with Satan whispering in our ear saying, you are a terrible Christian. Or even, are you even a Christian at all? Right? The, 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 the battle's already going on. And how do we respond to that? And again, hopefully in this little section here, uh, Bunyan's kind of helped us to, to, to see how we can do that. All right? Any other thoughts? Maybe not. Okay. Continue Lord's Day. Bless you.